You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's your friend and mine, the birthday boy, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, you come to us this week another year older, another turn of the calendar. You are 36 years old. 30 fucking six. But you don't look a day over 50. Thanks. And as I heard you say this week, you don't feel a day over 70. Yeah. Just wake up every day like a creaking old ship. <laughs> Practically a man grown. You know what? It's been an experience for me to watch you come of age Yeah. during the time of the co-main event podcast. Yeah. I remember when you were just a pup, wet behind the ears. That's, you know... Mr. Dundas, can you explain to me how the mixed martial arts cage fighting works? I sure can, Ben. You see, there are two men stripped to the waist. You know, I think uh, people at home or in their cars, more likely may not realize it, but you come to us today, Chad, suffering from a cold. A cold so so bad that when I walked in here, you were wearing a sweatshirt and a beanie in your own home. I'm still wearing it, and I don't think that you should undersell this. Under the sweatshirt, I'm wearing a button-up flannel shirt, and on my feet, I'm wearing fuzzy slippers. Wow. That that's how you know this man has a cold. It was the same cold that I had last week, though, and we got through the show. Um, I'm gonna do the entire show with a cough drop in my lip, like it's a plug of chaw, like I'm Pete Rose over here playing for the 1970s Cincinnati Reds. Okay, I think we're gonna be okay. By you the know, way, tip for the well-rounded fight fan: the best cough drop out there on the market is the Fisherman's Friend. You know, is Chad done us a hero? For forging through his cold to record the Co-Main Event podcast? You're the Some one, might say that. You're the one saying that. Some might say he's I'm a not hero. over here saying that. Yeah. Fisherman's Friends, though. God, they taste gross, but they work. <laughs> what an endorsement. Wow. Are we getting paid for yeah, that one? that's a... Okay. Cha-ching. All right. What'd you do for your birthday? You and your wife went out? Yeah, we, uh, we went bowling. We had a spirited bowling match. That does make you seem pretty old. Well, yeah. You should have seen us actually bowling, and then you'd really think so. A couple 300 games? Uh, we, we played a best-of-five series. Um, I won it 3-2, but, man, it was tense there at the end. Some touch-and-go moments? Yeah, I had to sweat for it. Did you dig deep? I, I, I dug deep-ish, as deep as I felt comfortable with. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event cast. In round number one, we see you, Ben Rothwell. We see you, and we like what we see. You just hang tough with your wizard hood and your wizard dance and your evil wizard laugh. Your time will come. And in round number two, is it crazy to think that the UFC had the press release announcing John Jones's return all typed up months ago and they just kept it locked in a case with a sign that said break glass in case of stupid t-shirt design and rash of injuries? Whatever. John Jones back. John Jones back. And round number three, you know what? The event was in Ireland and the reporter was English. So I guess we'll just have to hope that something got lost in translation when UFC President Dana White said the Reebok UFC partnership has been, and I quote, a slam dunk. 
all that plus no he said home run home run now what's been lost in translation yeah it's been a a home run just an american talking to a brit in ireland making baseball metaphors what could go wrong yeah there you go all that plus just saying stuff and are you fucking kidding me but first like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail listener mail from matt robertson did Dustin Poirier make the right choice by not taking a last-minute opponent? Will this negatively affect the way the UFC looks at him going forward, or did he make a smart, calculated decision? Uh, instead of being the main event on a Fight Pass card, this fight could now be moved to a Fox card or even uh, the prelims of a numbered pay-per-view event, all which would draw more viewers, uh, giving both him and John, in parentheses, maybe Joseph Duffy, a bigger audience. Uh, maybe this whole concussion thing was made up for that matter, question mark, question mark. Okay, well, now we're, I mean, just stick with one question. Nobody loves a, a conspiracy theory like fight fans. Ain't nobody. What say you to that, fellas? Well, I would say that the we were we we had a good thing going with the first three questions from Matt Robertson here, <laughs> um, because he asks, did he did Dustin Poirier make the right decision? Will this negatively affect the way the UFC looks at him? And did he make a smart, calculated move? I would say it could be all three, right? You know, I was more willing to assume that it might negatively affect the way the UFC looks at him, except for, I don't know if you saw his comments on MMA Junkie Radio today, um, where, at least in his telling of it, when he had the conversation with Dana White, and Dana was kind of explaining to him what the what the options were and what the situation was, and he told him, listen, don't feel pressure to take this fight, don't feel like this card is resting on your shoulders here, Um like if you need the if you need the fight and you need the money, go ahead and take it. But otherwise, um, we can reschedule. So, if if that's accurate and if that wasn't just Dana White saying what he felt like he had to say there, then that would seem like maybe the UFC does not really care too much about this one. But did he say that while wearing a T-shirt that said "I'm with Sport Killer" and had like an arrow <laughs> pointing at Dustin Poirier? And every time Dustin would try to move, Dana would move right along with him. You know, don't you feel like this is one of those things that MMA fans? So I guess by the definition of the word "fan," short for, for fanatic, like they respond to this kind of move by Dustin Poirier here, but before when we've seen it with other fighters, most notably, I think, John Jones, like, they respond to this with just pure emotion, right? Like, almost a certain percentage, not all of them, obviously, but, like, right. just pure kind of, like, id well, and anger that, like, a portion of their fight-watching Saturday night fun has been stripped away from them. Well, as you and I have discussed in the past, there is a certain segment of the fight fan population that loves any opportunity to call a pro fighter a pussy. Yeah, sociopaths. I think those people <laughs> is the is the technical term. They want to take like the the small segment of the population who are clearly not scared of fights and accuse them of being scared. Mm -hmm. People who make their living getting stripped to the waist and fighting other, essentially, let's just say trained killers uh, inside a steel cage. Right. Well, and also it's kind of weird how it always works out that somebody will get hurt and then somehow we end up blaming his opponent by the end. Like we've lost right. sight of it's the like whole a, thing that happened with, with Joseph Jonathan Duffy. Right. It's like a, a big picture kick in the narbs, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like when yes. you, it's like punting a guy below the waist in a fight. Somehow he ends up being the one who looks bad for yeah. taking the time to recover. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, that just always seems to happen. And I, I can't blame Dustin Poirier at all for making this decision. I think that the, especially the particulars of it, if he fights Norman Park, who's 
coming off two losses in a row at that point, and he beats him, so what? Right. I mean, you get the win bonus and everything. You get a little more money, but who cares? It does not really do anything for you in your career right now if you're Dustin Poirier, uh, who is 2-0 since returning to lightweight. Uh, if you beat Joseph Duffy, on the other hand, you know, highly touted young fighter, do you, you just roll your eyes? No, I'm just... I'm just people are hot on my own thing over here. People are people are hot on the 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 young guy. You beat him. You you get up one and back in the psychological win column against the nation, the fictional nation of Ireland. I can see how that feels like it means more. And plus, then when you factor in that you didn't prepare for this guy at all, you'd have to do a quick film study on him and hope that you can figure it out and adjust in time. There's just so many reasons not to take that fight. Yeah. I think it's one where if you're a professional fighter, you just have to follow your heart, man. If you want to take that fight... Follow your heart. Great. Great. If you don't, man, I don't care. Whatever. Do what you want. Let's talk about uh, John Duffy, though, for a minute here. Uh, Joseph Duffy. I, I know who. What his name I, is. You're going you're gonna to screw this up for yourself. You realize that. You're going to screw it up for a lot of people. Do you probably. think it's going to be like in high school when I started saying dude as a joke? And then like a month later, I realized I couldn't stop saying dude. And to this day, as a 38-year-old man, I still say dude all the time. It's going to be like that, but probably it will have less of a negative effect on your life overall. So Jordan Duffy goes over there <laughs> to the TriStar Gym up there in, in Canada. This is where this occurred, right? Isn't this yes. where he got like a quote unquote flash, flash knockout? I think we're all assuming it was Sage Northcutt that did it. Yeah. Uh, to him. Probably with some spinning shit. That's right. He did one of those, uh, zero gravity flips that he can do. Yeah. Like a Tekken character. And he knocked JJ Duffy unconscious. Maybe knocked him out of the cage, slammed him against a wall like they do in Tekken. Bits of it crumbled off and fell on him. And then they, when they woke him up, they realized he had a concussion. Now, is this a situation where we can, we can throw some shade? Uh, because a lot of people will do that if you get, if you're ruled out with a concussion because you were hurt in sparring a week before your fight. Or is this a situation where we kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt because we weren't there? We don't know what happened. And, uh, a person can get a concussion doing almost anything. Almost anything? Well, no one has been concussed recording this podcast yet, but I'm not saying it couldn't happen. We don't know that. I, you, are we doing you're exams over there after, after each podcast? Maybe feeling a little woozy from last night's birthday celebration. You could topple right off that chair, hit your head on the uh, pergo floor, and uh, <laughs> sustain some kind of head trauma. Mild well, TBI. Now I'm worried that that will happen. I, it never occurred to me before. I think in the absence of any other information, we should give him the benefit of the doubt. However, if you are sparring hard enough to get knocked out and get a concussion uh, a week before your fight, you might want to think about that. I think that that's probably right up to the line of where you should consider not throwing them bungalows quite so hard at one another. And I don't know, maybe it's he feels like he needs that that one last day to really feel like he's ready going in there against Dustin Poirier. But I, I think the thing you also have to think about is... The cautionary tale of one T.J. Grant. because Professional minor T.J. Grant. That's right. Because it's not just a matter of, hey, if you spar too hard and you're, you're reckless in there in the gym, you might get a concussion and miss a fight. As we've seen in the instance of T.J. Grant, it can have a lot more far-reaching consequences. Yes. It's not just a matter of next weekend. you you got to think about... The, the consequences and like that can have for your entire life and, and maybe balance risk versus reward. There. In fact, when I said you could get a concussion doing almost anything, I was, in fact, thinking of T.J. Grant when I said that. Not necessarily you toppling off your chair. Well, he was doing the martial arts, so 
in in fairness, it's not like you know he's walking down the street you and a hammer in, falls off a construction you are in, zone. If you are head. in motion, modern science has led me to believe that if you are in motion, you can be concussed. Okay, no matter what what you're up to. So you're saying none of us are safe. Not, no one is safe. Live in fear. Second to second terror. <laughs> Next question this week comes to us from Dwayne Digby. He writes, Lewis Smolka and Patty Houlihan had a pretty great, oh no, pretty nice flyweight fight in the main event of the mostly stinky UFC Fight Pass event. Uh, Smolka is 4-1 and one in the UFC and now only just 24 years old. I have a feeling he's been 24 years old before just now, but whatever. Uh, is there a reason for us to remember Smolka's name moving forward? Well, I think after this fight, at least, more people will be able to correctly pick him out of a lineup if we ever have to put him, put another Lewis Smolka lineup in the Breakfast of Champions. Can I just say that the weigh-in fight lineup, the six-pack, as I believe they call it in the police in police jargon, uh, is one of my favorite things of the Breakfast of Champions. Yeah, I love it when we do that. Well, and I think that the doing it with the weigh-ins, like on all MMA junkie weigh-in photos. It really strips away a lot of the the distractions and forces you to consider, how sure am I that I know who Lewis Smolka is? Yeah. And I assume this people, because people do email us to tell us that they nailed it, uh, and I assume that those people are liars. Well, people do also let us know via email and Twitter that they did not nail it. Those people are are honest and (laughs) upstanding citizens. I appreciate the people willing to admit that they went ahead and selected Mark Munoz. Uh, <laughs> Those people are drunk. <laughs> uh, can we point out that Patty, the hooligan hoolahan, is missing a, a prime opportunity to have the nickname Hot Lips? <laughs> that Patty Hot Lips Hoolahan would be awesome? Uh, maybe that's just not as – that wasn't as popular over there. Well, yeah, that's true. American television show uh, MASH, the sassy nurse on MASH was Hot Lips Hoolahan uh, for the millennials out there who probably have never seen MASH. But uh, I just feel like the the and the hooligan is like kind of it's a little bit rote. Am I right? Like you didn't, <laughs> you didn't think about this too long. You feel like he's the better than Hulahan. that. I think that he should incorporate somehow into his nickname the fact that he looks like a a jujitsu hobo. Uh, and I think that there's a lot you can do there. You come out to the cage maybe with a bindle. Uh, you uh, between rounds, you eat from a tin of beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just you offer to share a tin of beans with your opponent after it's over. <laughs> uh, Lewis Smoke and Patty Houlihan had they did have a pretty nice flyweight fight though, as Dwayne Digby writes. Uh, it, it, you know, action packed, exciting, mostly submission and grappling based. Although there mm-hmm. were some. Uh, some stages there at the end, especially at the end of the first round where Lewis Smolka landed a nice combination on Patty Houlihan, who, uh, like his teammate, Conor McGregor, appears to have n- no qualms with getting punched right in the face and doesn't, it didn't seem to bother him for a while. And then, and then it, until it did, I guess you could say. Uh, but, uh, I always feel like this, this is the kind of fight though that reinforces to me how important like storylines and uh, context are because Lewis Smolka and Patty Houlihan can go out there and have a Cracker Jack and they did. And it was fun to watch, but I feel like I can only uh, get so much enjoyment out of that. You know, it's like the question of, and it it could be the defining question of a fight pass event where all the people who you know of are injured and, and do not show up. But like how, 
how interested are you in, in watching a, in a card of people that, aside from a couple notable examples, is mostly random people fighting? Yeah, I mean, this. I wrote about this one a little bit in my column afterwards, how this one had to be one that sold itself based on pure performance. Because if you ask somebody, what was this a fight about? What did this fight mean for either guy's career or the bigger picture of the division or anything? You can't really say with any certainty, uh, which is what made it, you know, a on paper a weak main event, even though it ended up being a, a great fight and one that this card really needed, especially one that it needed there at the end to send us out on a, on a high note. Uh, feeling like it was worth our time. But this reminds me, I used to have this conversation when I worked for the IFL and we would have periodic meetings sitting there in a little office boardroom in uh, New York City where they would say, why aren't we selling any damn tickets? Why do we have to keep giving away all these tickets? What could we do that would get people interested? And one of the things I was trying to push for at one point was in-arena video packages before each fight where, you know, like like you do. At a fight event, where sure. because I've a lot seen of these people, some dandies in my day, you know, a lot of these people show up to the event and they don't really know too much about who these guys are, uh, or what it, what we're really doing here. And my point was always, hey, even the people who really love fighting, you're not going to get them that excited about just seeing like, hey, the promise is one guy is going to fight another guy, one guy in red gloves is going to fight a guy in blue gloves. That's not enough. And their reaction was kind of, oh, really? I thought they they just thought that. If you like this stuff, you're kind of just a savage for unarmed combat. Well, that seems to be the, uh, at least among promoters, the the conventional wisdom. Well, I think the the UFC has gotten a little better uh, in recent years of realizing, okay, you need a narrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've gotten better, I would say, through trial and error. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, And they've been the promoter around uh, in MMA longest to have the opportunity to, to hone that approach. But I think that that's your big problem when you're – the difference that you should have between a main event fight and just some fights on the card. The fights on the other card are us finding out for the most part who's worth paying attention to, who who should we care about for future events. Right. The main event should have a little more something solid behind it. And obviously this was like plan C here, so you, you can't blame him too much for that. But it is one of those things where now I guess we can say, all right, Louis Smoka. That seems like somebody we should pay attention to, right? He looked good in that fight. He can be the dude who who beat up Patty Hot Lips Holohan when uh, we needed a, a great fight there at uh, the cursed event in Dublin. And now that gives you somewhere to go with him. But before that, I mean, what are you going to say? I, did you catch the, the clip before this fight where he says he wants people to talk to their kids and their grandkids about the time they saw Lewis Smoka beat Patty Holohan? Which, no, but that sets a high standard for yeah. yourself. You have got some work to do, my friend. When I heard that part in the pre-fight package, I out loud in my office as I was watching this on my computer went, what? And then imagine a situation in which somebody really was talking to their grandkids about it. And it was a, a situation where they were saying, oh, man, grandpa is off his meds again. He does not know what's happening because he is talking about that Lewis Smoka Patty Holohan fight again. That's like, we'll talk about this more when we get into the round about Reebok, but that's like the opposite of what Reebok has done. They have set the bar so low that if we make it to another year and they come out with some new UFC fight kit designs, it has to be better than what we've got. Lewis Smoka goes out there, goes with the exact opposite approach, which I respect. And then I respect him for it. But on a hell of a performance. The next question this week comes from old school listener mail OG Brady Carlson. He writes in, 
Michael Jerome Reese Page. Is he as good as he looks, or is it just a matter of time before an elite fighter exposes him? Of course, we're talking about Michael Venom Page, or uh, MVP, as we say now. In the parlance of the sport. Do we say that? Uh, I saw some people saying it online. Okay. <laughs> uh, he's a Bellator fighter. He is now has five or six, maybe five appearances uh, over in Bellator. He got a win at Bellator 144 uh, on, on Friday. Is that when they did this? Friday, right? Yes. Uh, he goes out there and beats Charlie Ontiveros. There you go. Nailed uh, it. Via elbows on the ground. Um which, you know, I like that Bellator, do they send you all these videos via email? Yes. Bellator does. Yes, I like they do. that they do that. Yeah. Because then you can, you can relive the event or live it for the first time. Or cannot escape it. At your, uh, at your convenience. Um, so, yes, he's, he's got uh, four wins in a row in 2014 and 2015 in Bellator. He's 9-0 and overall. Still hasn't really fought nobody. But uh, is an English gentleman with a with a stand up oriented game and an exciting style. Yeah, and it seems an unorthodox like, style. It seems like Bellator realizes that, and they are going to go ahead and uh, go with a little bit more of a boxing style uh, promotional technique of let's give this guy a hundred people he can beat up in a row. Yeah, you also though have to wonder, don't you, when you ask the question, uh, is it just a matter of time before an elite fighter exposes him? Uh, which elite fighter would that be in Bellator exactly? Uh, are you asking me? Because yeah. I didn't ask the question. Are you? Do you want me to, to well, choose the elite fighter in the uh, Bellator? Is he welterweight now? He fights in both welterweight and, and middleweight. And I don't know where this fight over the weekend was staged. Uh, welterweight. Michael Page versus Charlie Ontiveros. I mean, my, there's plenty of great welterweights out there. But I think that right now, if you're Bellator, it doesn't seem like Bellator is kind of picking one at a time which division it can bulk up and make into a showcase division. You got lightweight has a bunch of talent just all over MMA, so you have a little easier time there. Light heavyweight, they, they just added Phil Davis, and you've already got you know, King Mo and then various money weights that you got run around and you can include in there, such as former UFC middleweight Francis Carmel, Frankie Cars. I don't know if you if it feels like you've got to bulk up that division before I can really start thinking about a bunch of elite fighters who you could even throw him in there with. Yeah, you could put him in there with my guy, the Irish bad boy, Brennan Ward. That's your guy? He what is he he trains hard, he he fights oh, hard. Jesus. You you never miss an opportunity to bring this it's up. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen said on a nationally televised pre fight hype video. Does he cuddle hard, do you think? <laughs> he cuddles hard afterward. He studies hard? Yeah. Well, I don't know if the I don't know if that's quite true. <laughs> Depends on what we're studying. Uh, can, well, let's, uh, can we also discuss, though, like, is this working for Bellator to try to build up Michael Page? Because I feel like a hardcore MMA fans who tune in to Bellator anyway know who Michael Page is. But it's not as though this strategy, at least thus far from Bellator, has turned Michael Venom Page into a household name in any way. Yeah, not so far. Maybe the goal here right now is to just really build the highlight reel up so that when you do have a a more worthy opponent that then we can get, we got some good video package material to choose from. Maybe that's the plan. That would, again, setting the bar at a very manageable level, <laughs> build up the highlight package for Michael Page. Um, last question this week comes from Torin Klein from high level, Alberta. I don't know if that's a actual place or if that's a statement about that, Alberta. Well, it could be either, but that does sound like something that, that sounds like a town name that our neighbors to the North, would use yeah, they like moose jaw like yeah there's towns up there called moose jaw moose jaws high my level favorites. yeah uh 
He writes, and as an alternative to appealing to the unappealable Nevada State Athletic Commission, would it be more effective to appeal to the athletic commissions or governors of other states or counties or countries to ignore the Nicholas Robert Diaz suspension? It could show the NSAC that they can't just do as they please and force all other commissions to follow the gentleman's agreement to uphold the suspension in addition to allowing Nick Diaz to make money, which I'm always in favor of. Please discuss potential effects and repercussions. I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of success doing that because the only either. way suspensions mean anything is if athletic commissions honor each other's suspensions. Yeah. If you just can suspend a guy and then he can go to the next state over and fight, there's no point to even doing that stuff. It's anarchy. We yeah. have anarchy. Just pure if you, chaos. If you're going to sit down. Blood in the streets. And write a letter or slash email on behalf of Nicholas Robert Diaz, I would think you would be best served to either send a polite and professionally worded uh, mail communication to the Nevada State Athletic Commission directly or... To Obama. Straight to Obama. Yes, straight to Obama. We saw how that worked already. <laughs> Nicholas Diaz is out walking free because Obama flew to Las Vegas. Took a meeting. ripped up his suspension with his bare hands, right? That's what happened? Yeah, I think he also uh, ordered some drone strikes on the homes of the yes. NSAC commissioners. <laughs> they are all now deceased. Yeah, plus uh, about 50 innocent people who were just nearby. If you wanted to appeal to the Nevada State Athletic Commission's boss, I believe that would be the governor of Nevada, right? Well, so, I mean, if we could have got 100,000 people to send letters to the governor of Nevada instead of uh, put their initials on a worthless uh, whatever it was... Uh, Petition? Petition, yes. That's what it's called, petition. Thank you. That Maybe we would have got somewhere. So you're saying that my the current petition I'm working on, thinking ahead to Presidents Trump or Sanders, That's right. you're saying it might be a waste of time? Wait, well, what about Ben Carson? Just writing him off? I assume he, it would be a Trump-Carson He has opened up Carson a double-digit lead over Trump in Iowa, Ben. <laughs> sure. Uh, the thing that I think is... The best chance for putting any pressure on the Nevada State Athletic Commission is just for them to keep being embarrassed when the shit actually goes to court. Like when Vanderlei Silva goes to court and the judge says, yeah, you can't do that, actually. You can't suspend that guy. Uh, for You can't give him a lifetime ban for this. Go back and, and figure something out new again. I feel like if you have a few of these and maybe then that's where you don't need to necessarily write a letter to the governor. He can just see... This obviously isn't working, and something else needs to happen there because you can't just keep having these hearings where you set yourself up for a future court battle that you then lose. That's just not a good look for you as a regulatory body. So, And also, if you can get some fighters to actually follow through on this threat to, to boycott them and not fight there, I think like like prolonged pressure of that sort is what gets it done, even though that's not quite as fun or sexy as filling out a petition and having... Obama chopper right on down there and solve the problem. Zip line down out of the chopper and <laughs> crash through the stained glass window <laughs> on top of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. I had assumed he'd use a jetpack, uh, this being the 21st century. But I, I think that maybe it's having, like, because when they run that stuff like they think they're a court of law and they're totally not and they're ignoring due process rights, and then when it does go to a court of law and they are told you can't do that, I think that. Over time, maybe that's the best hope you have for getting them to cool some of this shit. And as uh, MMA reporters who often attend Nevada State Athletic Commission meetings point out time and time again, there is an open uh, set of time put aside for public comment at Nevada State Athletic Commission meetings, and nobody ever uses it. 
So you're saying that's when Obama should get up yes, and say he should go down there and give one of his legendary speeches on behalf of Nicholas Robert Diaz. He has a, he has a few words that's been heaped at his feet. I imagine him reaching inside his suit pocket, taking out a little folded up piece of paper, mm-hmm, some note cards, clearing his throat for dramatic <clears throat> effect. Yeah. That would be great. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you've got a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Just go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletters. Uh, those come out on uh, Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss from Tuesday through Friday when we're not recording the podcast. It's short. It's funny it hits the high spots uh you'll like it if you don't like it you can always just uh unsubscribe it's free we won't sell your email address to russian porn dudes uh and also we're about a month out from the next uh co-main event podcast book club we're reading right to light us to guard us by sean o'connell ufc light heavyweight um and we will be discussing that on the air the monday after thanksgiving i believe have you got it yet Yes. All right. Started reading it yet? Yes. I don't believe you. Yes? <laughs> no, but I, I'm going to start it. I'm about to start it. I'm on the cusp of starting it. Well, I'll let I'll let the listeners at home decide what they think of that I just claim. have to buy it, put it on my Kindle, <laughs> start Christ. reading it. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. We had a rough week or two right there in the lead up to UFC Fight Night 76 across the pond in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, We were originally supposed to have a UFC heavyweight possible title eliminator, but definitely a contender fight between Stipe Miocic and Ben Rothwell uh, that got canceled when, when Miocic had to pull out with an injury. And then right at the 11th hour, we also had Joseph Duffy. Uh, pull out, as we mentioned earlier in the show, of his fight with Dustin Poirier after he suffered a concussion um, during training about a, a week out for the fight. The UFC kind of had to scramble and uh, put together a four-fight main card here with, as we said, Lewis Smolka and Patty Holohan as the as the main event. Um, as we said, also, they offered Dustin Poirier the fight with Norman Park, a lightweight fight uh, at the last minute, but he turned that down. Um it seems like the UFC, I guess my, I know that there have been a lot of injuries this year, but it, but clearly we haven't had any injuries that, that uh, we haven't had as many injuries, I guess I should say, that, that totally would hamstring an event like we have seen the past couple of years prior to this. Um, and if you're going to have an event that gets totally waylaid by injury, I mean, you could do worse than for it to be this one. Yeah, that's true. Well, unless you're one of the people who bought tickets to it. And right. you're really psyched about the UFC coming to Dublin. Which is, brings up a, a, another point that I think is probably bears some, some time for us to spend some conversation on it, and that is that the UFC really likes to advertise how fast these things sell out. Yeah. And uh, made a big deal about how this UFC Fight Night 76 in Dublin uh, had sold out in, what, like 60 seconds or something like that. Uh, and yet then when people later on 
had the audacity to make a peep about the card being subject to so much change. Uh, seems like UFC President Dana White also got kind of mad about that. Well. It's like, you can't. That's I don't know, he, man. You can't have it both ways, though, right? Dana White gonna Dana White. It's not like you're gonna expect him to greet complaints about the diminished card quality with a, a agreeing that that person has a, a thoughtful, reasonable position. Mm-hmm. That they Did have you see his out. tweet last week? Great points, UFC <laughs> fans. Uh, I respect your rhetorical argument here. Well, I disagree with you. I appreciate you bringing this subject <laughs> to the fore. Uh, you know what I thought was weird? You talk about making a big deal about how quick it sells out. That card sold out in what, like September? Like early September when the tickets went on sale? Yep. And then I see in early October a story on Yahoo Sports that says the card sold out in 60 seconds without Conor McGregor. It specifically mentions in the headline uh, that Conor McGregor is not involved. And especially since that came on the heels of Conor McGregor going out and talking about what a huge contract he expects to get from the UFC, that seemed odd to me, that we would specifically mention that he was not involved in this quick sellout a month after the thing actually sold out. Also, how can you say, in in the broader sense, that it was without Conor McGregor? Because you, if you say that the current fervor and passion in Ireland right now for mixed martial arts would be exactly the same if Conor McGregor didn't exist, I don't believe you. I think they'd still be really passionate about it, and you'd probably still sell out a Dublin event, but I don't think you would have that groundswell of rabid hunger for mixed martial arts in Ireland right now if not for Conor McGregor. Even if he's not on the card, he helped you sell that one out. Yeah, I think that that... uh that's true and probably almost goes without saying and clearly conor mcgregor didn't didn't miss it either as no. when he offered to step back in to take on uh poirier peanut uh one peanut. more time and he said he would just take the gate and then he said it's my gate anyway yeah uh as part of his his tweet when he when he offered to do that so uh not a lot of subtle subtlety floating around between the the parties here. I, yeah, but I think you got to give him some credit there for what's going on in Ireland. I mean, but he's not the only one, and, and I, I'm sure that there'd be plenty of MMA fans in Ireland even without him, and were there, you know, before uh, the rest of us knew who Conor McGregor was. But I think he's a big part of that. But also, I mean, people did once the main event was changed, people did get offered a refund yeah. on this card. And we were led to believe some of them took it, and then we there was another report that came out that said that they turned around and resold all those tickets, uh, so they still had to sell out, and obviously a loud and boisterous crowd at the, what, 3, 3A Arena? Is that what it's called? Something like that. Uh, it is kind of a double-edged sword, though, don't you think, to be the Irish fans and be the UFC's most fervent new fan base and kind of be known as the fan base that's going to sell this thing out and go out there and cheer their, their asses off no matter what quality of product they're offered like that's a that's a compliment but it's also are you saying that they're the new brazil which was the new canada yeah they are the new canada once removed be careful over there ireland <laughs> be careful yeah, and you know this, you know what happens we heard this before i remember listener mail questions from uh brazilian fans saying hey how come when the ufc comes here we don't get john jones we get a bunch of brazilian dudes we want, you know, we're we're fans of Brazilian fighters and everything, but we're also MMA fans. We want to see the big name stars too. And you're right that once you have to watch out if the UFC tells you what a great fight town you are and what rabid supporters you are of MMA, 
that that might also mean they think you'll buy anything. Right. Suddenly, Dana White has opened up a bar tab for everybody at a pub in Sri Lanka, and suddenly <laughs> Norman Park against uh, you know John Duffy is as good as you're going to get over there. Yeah, in the Ireland. Well, let's the fictional talk, country of Ireland. Let's talk a little bit about what happened with the heavyweight. I want to talk about here. Ben Rothwell because yeah. he's the dude that we come out of this. I guess, feeling the worst for, right? Not only because he lost his fight against Stipe Miocic, but also because he went to the event anyway and kind of let it be known as he was on his way over there, I imagine flying on a magic carpet, uh, <laughs> that he was going with for the express purpose of picking a fight with Andrei Arlovsky. And then, like, maybe while he was in transit, it was announced that Arlovsky has his own fight booked. So... With... Uh, Stipe, Stipe of all people. Plot twist. So the guy who gets hurt so that the fight can't happen for Ben Rothwell is then the guy who gets the fight that Ben Rothwell wanted. How does that happen? Again, it's a situation where the dude who stayed healthy is the guy who gets screwed over. The big fella. How does that happen? Big Ben. Um, but I heard he did some nice work over in it Ireland. It sounded like it's, he really did. It sounds like he... Uh, through his own wiles, is kind of slowly but surely transforming himself into a fan favorite. Maybe the new... I remember when everybody got so fired up about Mark Hunt, Rally for Mark Hunt. I do remember Maybe that. it's hashtag Rally for Ben Rothwell these well, days. And he would seem to be maybe a little bit more of a uh, fan-friendly persona than Mark Hunt can be <laughs> at times. Uh, I wonder how many times you think he got asked to do the laugh when he was over there meeting fans in Ireland. Well, I mean, once you once you've branded yourself with the laugh... You got to be ready to do the laugh every night till you're 70 <laughs> in Poughkeepsie at the theater. I think that if you're going to if you're in that situation, your best bet is when somebody asks you to do the laugh is to go and see if they can round up some other people who would like to hear the laugh so that you can do it all at once, knock out a bunch of people with an earshot. Did you and then move on? Did you ever read the story about Hunter S. Thompson as an old man that he had crafted this persona for himself as like a wild drug user who was going to come to your town and whoop it up and like have a crazy time? And then by the time he was in his fifties and sixties, he would go on these lecture tours and meet all these college kids that like expected him every single night that he was at Idaho State University. He was going to like do a bunch of cocaine and slam a whole <laughs> bottle of whiskey. And Hunter S. Thompson was just like miserable because of it. <laughs> It's like it's Ben awesome. Rothwell with the laugh. Well, you're you're saying that right now he's riding high on the laugh. Yeah, but best case scenario, 20 years from now, people still want Ben Rothwell to do the laugh. Am I mistaken in thinking that in a way, especially knowing the way MMA fans operate, in a way it's going to help Ben Rothwell down the line for it to feel like he's not the brasses guy. Yes, he's the guy who's getting screwed. absolutely is going to help him from a public relations standpoint. We love that as fans, especially as fans of these this niche sport where it's not just it's not good enough it's not cool enough to be just a fan of mixed martial arts you got to be a rebel fan yeah you gotta listen to the cool main event podcast yeah you gotta be swimming against the stream that's there. right yeah well it's uh you know don't respect authority man there you brother. go yeah the question though is where does it get him in the near future because man that arlovsky fight would have really worked well for him given their their history uh a fight with Stipe would have been pretty big for him if he could win it. And then it would be really hard to ignore him in the heavyweight division such as it is right now. Now what? Yeah, he's in a tough spot, man, because as we say time and time again, it's not as though the heavyweight division is brimming with uh, 
with talent. With it, it's not the deepest division out there. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's not, but it's also you know there are you you mentioned almost any name in the uh, in the heavyweight division, and and it seems like you know especially up there in the top ten, a person who would be uh, a a good matchup for Ben Rothwell. I mean, you got a guy like Josh Josh Barnett. I wouldn't wouldn't argue with that. That'd be kind of awesome. Would be would be hashtag would watch. Um, so there there are uh, there's options out there, man. I mean, we're gonna do this Alistair Overeem Junior Dos Santos thing, right? And then you're gonna have a winner of uh, Stepe Miocic, Andre Arlovsky, and a winner of Junior Dos Santos uh, versus uh, Alistair Overeem. Those guys would either fight each other or one of them fights for the title. And in which case, there's a bunch of other dudes that are going to be left over. But if you're Ben Rothwell at that point, you're thinking about cooling your heels for a while, waiting to see what happens. Well, or if you're Ben Rothwell right now, what you should be thinking about is staying in shape and keeping your phone on. Yeah, that's true. Because we know what can happen just with big fights in general and with heavyweights, the aging heavyweight division in particular. Somebody's blood pressure could go up. Somebody could break a hip. Slip in the bathtub and break a hip, and next thing you know, Rothwell's phone's blowing up. That that could be your best hope right now. Uh, what about the the guy, uh, the LSU running back who knocked the dude out with the hook kick in his last fight? What's that guy's name? Are you talking about uh, Sean Jordan? Yes, Sean Jordan. But that was not his last fight. He lost. He lost to that uh, Russian dude after that, and I think oh. he's out of his contract and said he wants to fight Fedor. On oh, New okay. Year's Eve. Well, sorry, like, I, he doesn't sound like an option. Doesn't sound like he's on the table. No. I wouldn't think so. And I but put him in against Fedor. Hashtag Wood Woodwatch. Ugh God. Alright, well let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to round number two this week. Uh we haven't done this in a while. This is a return to form for the Comain Event podcast after two grab bag episodes. Yeah. So when their hashtag wasn't shit going on. Yeah, ain't shit going on. Now feeling, are you feeling barely shit going on? You feeling rusty? Feel like you can get it cranked up? Come at me, bro. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, Chad, this week my Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to Quentin Rampage Jackson. Uh-oh. Speaking of a return to form. I don't know if you caught his comments uh, about John Jones on Inside MMA, where he's talking about how he hopes John Jones comes back, but at the same time said he is not a fan of John Jones, quote, because honestly, I think John Jones is bad for the sport, because when he fights people, he injures us. He kicked my knee backwards. My knee's never the same. He's done it to a couple other guys. I saw him rip one guy's shoulder out his socket. We just tried to do the same thing he's trying to do, earn a living, and do the sport that we love. Are you fucking kidding me, Rampage Jackson? You're complaining about a dude who you fought in a cage for a big stack of money hurting you? That's that's kind of what you're in there to do, man. I don't know if you think you're doing people favors by throwing your your closed padded fist at their skull as hard as you possibly can. That can injure people too. Also, do we need to make just a list of the things that Rampage Jackson thinks are bad for the sport, such as when other people wrestle him and are better wrestlers than he is? Bad for the sport. That's just bad for the sport. Fucking kidding me, Rampage. Are you fucking kidding me? I also like the way he talks about Glover Tashira there. Like, that fight was something he saw at a county fair. <laughs> He's talking about Glover Deshira the way I was just talking about Sean Jordan a yeah. couple minutes ago. <laughs> yes. This one guy. Remember him? This one guy. Who's I he? saw it. Yeah. Ben, we had some uh, late-breaking news into the co-main event podcast before we started to record this episode today. Vitor Belfort was signed, sealed, and delivered to go out and make an appearance on the MMA Hour with your friend and mine, Ariel Helwani, over on the Fortnite. 
the MMA two weeks. Uh, he pulled out at the last minute because at least according to Ariel, um, Vitor Belfort's management wanted him to uh, not ask Vitor Belfort about a certain topic. I period, E period, the recent discovery that he was allowed to fight John Jones a few weeks after uh, testing positive for elevated levels of testosterone. So Belfort decided he wasn't going to do the show, to which I say, are you fucking kidding me? Just going to go with a deny, 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 deny strategy, and then when you can't deny anymore, you just stop showing up. <laughs> I was just wondering what they thought that... Did they think for a little bit like, okay, hey, I'm sure we could go do this appearance on the MMA Hour and yeah, just not have to talk time about has passed. The, the most newsworthy item about this guy? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows what they're thinking from one moment to the next? That's sort of the fun of, of the Vitor Belfort uh, team situation. Eventually, you're probably going to have to talk about that, Vitor. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Boy's back, Chad. He sure is. Jonathan Dwight Jones, some five months after being suspended indefinitely from the UFC, stripped of his title uh, in connection with the, the hit-and-run charge in Albuquerque. Now the UFC has announced that with his legal problems behind him and him showing up at boys and girls clubs or whatever to hang out with kids and, and being pretty happy about it, he is sufficiently humbled and 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 penitent now and now he can come back and do the damn thing in the ufc and what does he do to celebrate that he gets on instagram and gets his dance on of course he does listen to some mace yes you know what this is that rare piece of mixed martial arts news that manages to be totally expected <coughs> and also uh to raise a number of interesting talking points and questions uh, because I think, first of all, you got to take on the idea of what were we really doing here if John Jones is only going to be absent from the UFC for five or six months, uh, owing to this hit and run accident that he was in, uh, back in April. Because when all that happened, clearly mixed martial arts fans, uh, who have been privy to John Jones's professional life for a number of years, and we've all witnessed what appeared to be a, an incre increasingly erratic pattern of personal behavior, like a bunch of personal behavior that we were like, oh, well, he's gonna, he's, this is gonna get him in trouble. Uh, and then it did. And we wanted the legal, the legal trouble to be more significant because of that. But, you, you know, as it turned out, the fact was, uh, well, J John Jones got really lucky that no one was, was so severely injured or hurt. Uh, it turned out to be kind of a minor traffic accident and was dealt with similarly by the the Albuquerque courts uh and that kind of cleared his way to return but the bigger issue at hand which we've never gotten an answer on and I, I don't believe we ever will is what exactly was going on in John Jones's life around that hit and run accident and what has he done in the last 6 months to to deal with that uh and that's kind of if any of this is troubling from from an outside the cage perspective I think it's that yeah, well, and this is, I, I wrote a column about this today. When you see him basically doing that, that same stuff on social media and you're wondering, okay, is it possible that he could still look like that same guy and yet not have his life be 
trending back into that same zone. And right. then, sure, it's possible. Yeah. But this is going to be like it's such a weird thing when he comes back because it's normally a guy's off for a little while and we wonder about stuff like ring rust, stuff like that. And honestly, that seems like the least of my concerns with John Jones. Yeah, he well, he wasn't even out long enough to accrue well, but the, any ring rust at this point. By like, the time he comes back, it'll probably be over a year uh, since his last fight. So, and you know, you got to imagine he was dealing with some stuff that might have made going to the gym, not the day's top priority here right. and there. So the thing is, though, if you if John Jones told me, I don't think ring rust is going to be an issue for me in this fight, he's like one of the only people who I would believe when yeah. he said that. Most people, I feel like, all right, you're going to say that like everybody else says it, and then after the fight, you're going to say the other thing, which is what everybody else does. But the, the only thing I worry about, or at least wonder about, is is... Has he learned the lessons we were hoping that he would learn from this? Because it didn't seem like he got a severe punishment other than being stripped of his title, being out for a couple months, being basically kind of embarrassed publicly over it. Other than that, you wonder, was this the wake-up call that everybody initially was saying it was going to be and needed to be? Is his life sufficiently different than it was when he got himself into this trouble to begin with? And that's going to be the question. Right, yeah, and I agree with you. I also wrote a column about it when the first weird Instagram video <laughs> hit, hit the airwaves where he was like, it was his first communication, essentially, aside from a prepared statement that he released, his first essential one-on-one -on -one communication with MMA fandom, with the MMA industry. And here he is, shirtless in his kitchen in the middle of the night, clearly trying to steal the thunder from Daniel Cormier, who had just defeated Alexander Gustafson in, in a pretty good fight. Looking a little glassy-eyed was John Jones. And you see that Instagram video, even though it's only, what, 10 or 11 seconds long, and you think, this is troubling because this guy has returned from some kind of life crisis that was never explained to us and immediately reverts to his old habits, which is kind of like your buddy coming back from rehab and being like, I'm going to go hang out at the bar that I always hung out at this Friday just to like see the old gang doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get called to go pick him up in the jail later that night, but it's also not reassuring. Yeah. Well, and like you said, though, it was the first communication other than the prepared statements. And maybe what makes it so jarring is the enormous difference between prepared statement John Jones between uh, crisis management John Jones right. and John Jones Instagram John Jones well and the stuff that you know we keep hearing these stories oh he's he's mopping them the mats at the gym uh he's hanging out and doing all this outreach work with kids in Albuquerque and on one hand I feel kind of bad for him because he's the guy that the MMA community has decided is a phony no matter what he does well and decided that before he deserved it well before <laughs> yes. he deserved it uh so it's almost like he can't he can't win in that regard if he if he does something nice i mean he could be out there lifting cars off of babies and we'd still think that he's just trying to go out there and get some fans so to speak right he can't win in that regard so you, on one hand it feels kind of unfair but on the other hand you do see like okay there's this crafted public image john jones who is completely undercut by social media, John Jones. Right, yeah, absolutely. And exactly. yet he seems to be having so much fun. Like, he knows what's going to happen every time he does it. He's going to post one of these videos. He's going to delete it. People are going to jump on it right away because they know what's going to happen. Everybody follows the same script. And he seems to genuinely enjoy that. Yeah, he revels in it. Um, here's the one thing that I believe about John Jones, that I believe wholeheartedly at this point about John Jones, and that is that he is going to return to the cage 
better than we have ever seen him before. And it's not, I don't believe that because I think that he has rooted the demons out of his life or, you know, turned things around in any way. Again, because for starters, we never found out what the demons were to begin with. But we, I, we did find out that he beat Daniel Cormier not too long after having some cocaine floating around in the system. If there's one thing that I do believe about John Jones, it's that his mind works in this way that is so based around athletic competition that he is going to be able to take this situation completely of his own making, where he was involved in a hit-and-run accident and was then stripped of his title. He will turn that in his own mind into a me-against-the-world, I-am-going-to-show-these-motherfuckers-how-great-I-am situation, which is some impressive like mental gymnastics when you think about it, but... All well, these yeah. reports coming out of the Greg Jackson camp that he's more focused than ever, that he's working harder than ever. I believe those, and I think he's going to be better, but not because he changed his life, because we finally pissed him off bad enough that his mind is going to flip a switch where he comes back and lays waste to everyone. And let me say, in closing, as from a purely from a fight fan perspective, I am excited about that. Yeah, no, that will be exciting, and it, it also doesn't make you wonder... If he, when he feel, when he realizes that he can have cocaine in his system pretty close to that Daniel Cormier fight, still go out there and beat Daniel Cormier, don't you think that that probably teaches him a lesson that is more destructive than anything? That, to paraphrase Chris Lieben, he could come in there smelling like booze and dirty strippers and still put the stamp on kids? From a, from like the Pollyanna ish side of my brain, I'm going to go ahead and say that. Even if we didn't, if we weren't told what John Jones did and we didn't find out that he had spent time in rehab or whatever, you have to think that someone who is as smart as he has, he is, would recognize his last chance when it floats by on the stream. Because if he goes out and fucks up again and fucks up maybe even worse this time than last time, which would be to continue the trend of his behavior, then you're in a real situation where I don't even know what you do if you're the UFC. Because you already stripped the dude of his title and put him on indefinite suspension. I don't think you can just do that again, right? Yeah, no, I'm sure you cut him and send him to Bellator. Well, you got to do something. I'm not sure he's going to get cut, but, I mean, if he continues to fuck up, he's also not going to glide into the Hall of Fame as the greatest MMA fighter of all time. It would be an interesting situation if they did do another indefinite suspension and we got to find out how indefinite a suspension can be before you get into some contractual trouble there. Because could you just hold the guy out from from making a living for the next five years because he screwed up? I don't know. But I think the thing with John Jones, like you said, there's no question athletically. Like there's that's the weird thing about anybody else. If this is a situation with anybody else, and they're out there running around, uh, getting into this kind of trouble, seemingly having a substance abuse problem. You would think that's going to catch up to you in the cage. You're gonna you're gonna have a bad performance one of these nights. You're gonna show up there and get beat up because you're not sufficiently prepared. And it seems like that's the one thing nobody is concerned about with John Jones, which tells you something about how good he is. Yeah, well, and we've you know the the only option at this point, I guess, is for him to to do the uh, not a title unification fight, but a, a title fight with current champion Daniel Cormier, uh, which is another sort of can't lose situation for fans because. Uh, I'm excited to see that rematch. I think everybody else is excited to see that rematch. We could do a lot worse than to get into a John Jones, Daniel Cormier trilogy type situation. Uh, and you know, I think we have a lot of reason to believe that Daniel Cormier is, is the best light heavyweight in the world 
when John Jones isn't around. So I don't know you could find a better opponent for him. Uh, and so, you know, all things considered, we're going to fall kind of ass backward into a, into another pretty good fight, I think. Yeah, I suppose we are. And hopefully we don't just end up having the same conversation a few months from now. I'm just going to save this, this audio so we can copy and paste it. Maybe do a find and replace. There you go. Uh, and, and we can just use it over again. That'll save us some work. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, the last time we talked about the UFC exclusive apparel deal with Reebok on the podcast, and I said that I didn't think things could get any worse for Reebok, was in the wake of the unfortunate wardrobe malfunction that befell bantamweight fighter Elizabeth Phillips in July during her victory over Jessamyn Duke. And it seems like we keep looking for the bottom in this Reebok UFC relationship, everything that happens, we keep thinking, well, this, this is it. This is, we can't get any worse than this. And somehow they keep finding ways to dig themselves deeper and deeper. And last week, it was the release of a t-shirt meant to celebrate the UFC's burgeoning new fan base over in Ireland. And instead, unwittingly infuriated it when, as part of a quote-unquote design error, which... It obviously was. Uh, Reebok or the UFC or whoever designed this T-shirt uh, mistakenly cleaved off Northern Ireland from the, the Irish map, uh, thereby fanning the flames of what? Like 500 years of bitter and sometimes bloody uh, turf battle uh, between the Irish and the English. Basically turning the T-shirt into an unwitting political statement. Yeah. Well, basically, the number one thing you probably don't want to do with your knockoff week of an event t-shirt to appeal to any fan base uh but you know what it's an easy mistake to make if you're not checking any of your facts and you're just googling ireland and like uh cutting it out on photoshop and putting that on a t-shirt and as i believe you joked uh taking the font from braveheart and sticking that on a shirt it's the lord of the rings font if you're doing it 15 minutes before the end of the work week it's an easy mistake to make. Yeah. You can imagine the conversation where they're they're having. They get the Lord of the Rings font on there. What color should we make the island? Should we should we make it uh, black? No, green, green. You okay? green is the color of Ireland. There we go. I guess that's it. You know, though the thing is, even if that was not, even if it was an accurate outline of the entire island, I still think it's it seems just like a lazy pandering thing where it's like, okay, the Irish fans are really crazy. Let's and what are they crazy about? MMA and being Irish. So let's just put the, let's say like, hey, here's, here's a picture of you on a t-shirt. And it also says UFC on there. Uh, you'll buy that, right? Like it just, it seems like even if you do it right, it's kind of a lazy attempt to cash in on somebody else's passionate self-identity. Right. And that like the UFC has d done this for a while. Like they put out week of t-shirts that are sold at the event that you go to in the city that, uh, in some way celebrate some symbology of that city, right? Like that's not a new thing that they do. I've seen them do that before. This is just the first time, uh, that they, that they did it in such a boneheaded kind of way. Um, 
I wrote a column this week on, on Bleacher Report just kind of saying that this thing's broken, man. And I don't think at this point it can be fixed because we got into this six-year, $70 million deal with the between the UFC and Reebok, and every single step along the way has been a disaster. They have I, not done one step that has worked out yet on the first try. I, I read your column. You, you kind of went ham, as the kids say. That's the way it was received. I didn't think it was particularly... Uh, vehemently worded but well but it did basically argue that it's over let's let's pull the plug which i believe a matter of months into it i i, I believe that i mean I, I don't know that you totally can come back even though i also think that it's true as i said earlier in the show the bar is so low at this point if reebok comes out with a just completely solid set of colored shorts next year that just say ufc down one leg and reebok on the other and there's green blue black and and yellow I think we're like, hey, step in the right direction, right? <laughs> well, I think that – I think maybe you were a little more pessimistic that there's no possible way that it could be salvaged at this point. I think if there's one good thing about it, it's that the bar has been set so low in this episode where we talk a lot about bars and their location that it would not be that hard to improve. And I, I But I do also think that some of the big things about it – would require such huge fundamental changes that they're just not going to do them. Like one is, okay, the design stuff could get better. Maybe next year for 2016, you really put some of your best people on it and you come out with good designs and like a variety of designs. It wouldn't be that hard to address that element of it so that there's just more available stuff uh, and the designs are, are better and they do seem a little bit more customized. You could do that if you were willing to put in the effort as Reebok. I mean, again, we haven't seen that effort yet, but... That's possible. I think the money thing is the thing that's not going to change. And right. it seems like every time we hear uh, a UFC executive, especially Dana White, talk about it, it seems like he's hoping that this will just be another one of those things where fighters are pissed off at first and then they just get used to it as the new normal. And I can understand why he would think that because that is how those things have gone in the past. Uh, and he seems to think this is another one of those things that's going to be like that. But I think a lot of those guys are losing so much money that it's really difficult for them to get used to that. And maybe you hope that those guys just aren't around that much longer for the most part. Those, those guys who are both popular, have been around in the sport, we're making good sponsor money, um, but we're also not making so much money that they can afford to not care about mm -hmm. Reebok or that they can just forget about having endorsements outside the cage. But And maybe the new guys coming in will just be like, hey, 2500 bucks, cool, I'll take it. I don't know, though. I, I don't know if I see fighters completely letting that issue die because that is the one thing I feel like you, you mess with their money and they don't forget that one as easily. Yeah, I think that that's right. And the, you know, the further we get into this thing and the more we think about it, uh, I'm not sure that there is a great way to split up this money in any fair and equitable way. Short, you know, I guess the easy answer is you just give everybody else a lot more of it. Well, and Reebok has said there's no more money coming from Reebok. Okay. That they gave all the money they had for this one to the UFC, and the UFC decided how to split it up. And that, that dovetails with what they said in their tweet where they tried to distance themselves from the money issue and after the firing of, of the longtime cut man, uh, Stitch Duran, also back in July, when they tweeted out, UFC fans, we have no input on decisions of UFC employment or fighter compensation. Our focus is providing the best gear for fighters and fans. Um, which is not the tweet that you expect a corporate partner to put out. You know, just as this deal is getting underway, um, although this week we found out 
that at least from the UFC perspective, they're still fairly dug in on this thing and are, are not going to, uh, in, I guess, classic UFC fashion, basically not going to admit that anything is wrong ever. No. Do you so, have that? Do you have that in front of you? The, the, the Dana the, White home run quote. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing from this this article in the Telegraph uh, by Gareth Davies makes a lot of questionable assertions about how this Reebok deal is going. And there are parts in it where if you didn't know better and you just read this story, you would think that the whole uproar over how the Reebok thing is going is a tempest in a in a teacup kind of thing. Uh, for instance, and I'll read the the two paragraphs before the quote because I think they all play together importantly. Uh, and this is Davies writing here. There were complaints from some quarters in the mixed martial arts industry that fighters' sponsorships would be affected. Some fighters publicly questioned the move. Others saw its value. Uh, but White, sensitive about it at times, has refused to buckle and has been hitting the balls of criticism out of the park. One cutsman was sacked after he criticized the loss of his personal sponsors. Now here's Dana White's quote. The backlash to Reebok was ridiculous, but everybody thinks they know all about this shit and they have all the answers, White explained to the Telegraph. But let me tell you, this has been an absolute home run for Reebok. Home run for them. The same week, Reebok Senior Director of Combat Training, Michael Lunardelli, which is Italian for Deli on the Moon, uh, was on the MMA Hour, and he couched his words in a way that sounded somewhat less home run-ish. I want to read that quote. He said, The way we look at it is we're not deciding where the money goes. We're investing into all these different things that relate to MMA and the sport. So we've got we've put a lot of money into the UFC deal. We've put a lot of money into fighters. We've put a lot of money into gyms and trainers and coaches, things like that. But then there comes a decision point, and the UFC decides how the fighters are paid. That's not something we get involved with at all. So I can understand that he, meaning Brendan Schaub in this case, a former fighter who criticized the Reebok deal, I believe, on his podcast. I think so. Or so Joe Rogan's podcast. podcast. Uh, I understand that he is looking at us and blaming us because it's a Reebok's apparel deal. It's a little misplaced from my standpoint, but at the same time, we have to do what we have to do, and that's focus on making great gear, supporting fighters, getting fighters to showcase as the face of our brand. If we do those things really well, then things will come around. From the home run? Yes. After you just what comes after a home run? After Grand you slam? just belted a home run, things will come around. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll, don't worry, things will get better after this home run, is what you're saying. Um, I think it was interesting in this, uh, the, for one thing, in the Telegraph story that Dana White's comment was that this deal has been a, a home run for Reebok. Um, because, I don't know, are we still, are we still saying that fighters just don't understand the situation? Because I don't think anybody can really claim that it's been a home run for the fighters. And it doesn't seem like uh, that's the part he's even worried about there. Yeah, he also is doing the thing in that same quote that you just read where he asserts that we don't know anything about what we think we think, uh, which is a thing that he's actually not allowed to tell us. Like, you can say that we're not uh, experts in the apparel industry, and that's fine because we're not, uh, but you can't tell us that we can't look at this thing and say that it's stunk up the joint uh, in from, you know from our public view of it well, because it has the same thing too where you know the the there were some complaints from that fighters sponsorships would be affected no they have been affected the uh comment from reebok that they he they might feel that they lost some sponsorships as part of this apparel deal no they did that is not an impression that's not somebody's feeling that's a fact that's what is happening when you when you look around 
all over the, the landscape of the sport. You talk to the fighters, you talk to their managers. That is the reality. That's not just somebody's fears about the future or their vague impression of what's going on. That's what's really happening. So let's not act like it's just like them, them worrying or, or them feeling a certain way. They're, what they're feeling is what is happening. Well, at least at the bottom of the Telegraph story, they included a link where we could go buy Reebok gear. That's interesting. That's nice we, of them. If we wanted to. That's nice of them to put that in there. It's telling. Um, all right. Well, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, I don't know if you saw the this week the famed, historic, iconic boxing magazine, Ring, Ring Magazine, featured on its cover a fighter by the name of Rhonda Jean Rousey. Oh, you know what's weird? I know somebody named Rhonda Jean Rousey in mixed martial arts. Yeah, no, same, same person. What? What? Yeah, it's it's strange, but you know what? I think it's fine. I'm not mad at Ring Magazine if they're out here looking for that extra few hundred thousand copies sold. That I'm sure throwing Rhonda Rousey on the cover of your magazine that is about a completely different sport will bring. And I guess that would bring their total sales to a few hundred thousand and oh, four. Smoking. Ouch. I just Dude. didn't know they still made a print magazine. I do have to admit, though, Ben, the headline on the cover of Ring Magazine is is a wee bit trollish because it it asks, it says she conquered MMA is boxing next. No question mark. Now, see this week, I'm just saying, do you want to know what's? Not next, because I can tell you what is not next, and what is not next for Ronda Jean Rousey is boxing. Maybe they meant a movie about boxing. I'm just saying. Well, it's interesting you say that, because the thing that is next is Roadhouse. (laughs) Just saying. Well, Chad... I'm just saying, I'm sure you saw before Norman Park and uh, Reza Mad Dog Madadi got in the cage, they had a kind of a bitter back and forth on social media, and then Norman Park brought to the weigh-ins a pink purse that he threw at Reza Madadi to bring up the, bring to mind his legal troubles over some purse theft, uh, and also I guess the pink nature of it is just an extra little dig there too, uh, and it's, it was a, Fiery weigh-in moment got Madadi really worked up uh, and was shared all over social media. Wor- worked out really well to bring some attention to the bout for Norman Park. I'm just saying there had to be a moment when Norman Park or one of his associates or all of them together went out, bought a pink purse, and looked at it and thought to themselves, this is going to be awesome. This is the one. I'm just saying, that's what's going on in the sport of professional cage fighting. That's one of the things that reminds you why it's not just like your normal sport. It's not, you know, you don't, the night before an NFL game, have to go out and buy a pink purse. You don't have to, but you just might want to. I'm just saying. Just saying. That is going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week, the beginning of uh, of uh, November, where we're going to start storming into this UFC schedule that goes all the way to the end of the year. No more hashtag ain't shit happening shows for ain't a little while. On. Ain't shit going on. We got to get our hashtags together. Yeah. Man, that's embarrassing. Yeah. We, our, that's our branding. You fucked it up earlier. <laughs> okay. Jesus. How soon you forget. It's your old age. Catching up with you. <laughs> Must be it. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So how much? How much are we getting paid for this cough drop sponsorship? Oh, we're just we we are breaking it in. Every time I use a cough drop, we get a hundred bucks. <laughs> I was a little concerned that maybe you might have made another one of your deals for the product. 
rich. I don't. Hey, if we could get an endorsement deal where they would just send me.